Um, have you ever noticed that people in our culture um, have become discontent? Ever think about that? That they, they become discontent. The theme I think of this culture could could really be all I want is a little more than I'll ever have. Think about it. It's true. That could be the theme of our culture. All I want is a little more than I will ever have. And we're stuck on this wheel that we keep running and running and running. We just want a little more and a little more. How often have you talked to someone who has been on a missions trip and they've worked with orphans, they've worked with some people who are really, really poor, and they come back and they say things like, I've heard this a thousand times, they, they have nothing and they seem, so much more, they seem so much more happy than we are. They're so much happier than we are. And what they're doing is they're making a comment, they're commenting on the lack of contentment here in their own culture. They go there, they see children with practically nothing. These children are smiling, they're engaging, and, you know, they seem so happy. And then they look into their own hearts. Maybe it's a high school student or, you know, an adult, and they say, how is it they have nothing and I have seem to have everything, and they're more content than I am? You know, you would, you would think that once you get to a certain age in your life that you'd realize that you'd begin to realize that being discontent and being negative, constantly being negative, robs you of your joy and your peace. And it also harms your relationships. You think at a certain point that we would get as adults and start to think, wait a second, this attitude that I have, this discontent, this discontentment in my heart is really hurting me. See, the problem is it's a really hard habit to break. It's very, very difficult to break. We tend to look at the bad rather than the good, right? It's so easy to dwell on things that are going wrong instead of things that are going right. We dwell on what we don't have instead of on what we do have. Instead of taking the time to reflect on what we do have. And we are literally conditioned by our society. We're conditioned to be this way. We are bombarded continually with what we're missing. What are you missing? You have this little thing and eat that thing. This computer's up. There's a better one. And it's constantly, what are you missing? What are you missing? What don't I have that everyone else has? What other people have? What, what I deserve? We tend to develop, we've, we've tended to develop this habit, if you will, of discontentment. Nothing is ever right. It's not good enough. Why can't I have what they have? I deserve what they have. I deserve a better job. I deserve a bigger paycheck. I deserve a bigger house, a better car. It's just ingrained in us from childhood, really. It's ingrained in our lives that we, we don't have what we deserve. So as we, as we continue this series on forgotten virtues... I want to focus on our lack of contentment because contentment is a virtue that we really need. Every single one of us in this room, we want it. We want to be content. Our culture is running wild, okay, trying to find contentment in everything. I'm going to change this about myself. I'm going to change that about myself. They, have no, they don't understand their purpose in life. They don't know who they are. They don't know their identity. 
and their contentment level. And they think if I could just become this or if I could just do that or if I could just then I'll be content. Everyone's searching for it. And I want to talk of this morning about this whole idea of contentment. Now, the opposite of contentment is being dissatisfied and complaining about your life. Just constantly complaining about what's going on in your life. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. And you say, well, that sounds easy. That's easy for you to say and kind of hard for me to do. And I understand that. I say this a lot, but when I, as I write a sermon, I'm speaking to myself first. I sit there and ask myself these questions. So the Bible is saying, I know we're constantly complaining. It says, hey, do everything without complaining or arguing. So how do we do that? Well, over the next few minutes, I'm going to share a few biblical principles that may help. All right. Some principles that may help you in this whole idea of contentment. Number one, admit that it's a struggle for you. You have to admit it's a struggle for you. That's the first thing you need to do. Don't look around as we go through the sermon this morning. Don't look around at everyone else. Don't be poking the person next to you or kind of like looking at me. Yeah, that, that sounds like you. Don't worry about the person next to you. Just focus on yourself. Just focus on yourself. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Being dissatisfied is not only a bad habit, it's a sin that we need to confess. It is a sin that we need to confess. Think about it. Think about it. See, being dissatisfied and complaining was the sin that kept God's people out of the promised land, right? They come out of Egypt, you know, they're set free. And what kept them from entering the promised land was the fact that they were constantly complaining. The Bible says that they were murmuring. They did not enter the promised land because the scripture says they murmured. Now, I think that each one of us, oldest to youngest, oldest to youngest, can sit back and say, you know what, that's very true. I I remember a study they did. I was watching some show on television. They had all these babies and and they put a little, those little mural things in the baby. And there was like two little horses going around. Baby's like, this is fantastic. Two horses. And then they put like nine horses on the the little mural thing that spun around. Kids like, you know. Stimulate is like, wow, nine horses. My brain could hardly take it, but he loved it. I was just so excited about it, right? Then they went back to two horses. Guess what happened? Kids started crying. Two horses. I mean, the baby started crying because he wanted, he had nine horses. Now he's got two. Not satisfied. Very, very discontent. This week, and I I think this fits in. I just thought this story. Uh, My oldest grandson, Ollie, um, was with with Jen was they were there together and it was lunchtime and and Ollie said can I have some lunch and Jen said yeah and he goes can we have those 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 biscuits you know the biscuits in the in the refrigerator and Jen said sure we, you know we can we can have some biscuits those they're crescent rolls you know so she said yeah we'll have crescent rolls for lunch and so he gets out the crescent rolls and he says well you know they're all done I, well, I'd like some peanut butter with my crescent rolls and Jen said sure and so she smeared some peanut butter on top of the crescent roll and Ollie said, whoa 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 not on top, put it on the plate. So she takes a little dollop of, you know, a peanut butter and puts it on his plate. It's like, Mom, presentation. <laughs> He's watching Master Chef Junior a little too much. He's like, Mom, pres- presentation, he says to her. Sm- you know, wipe the peanut butter on the plate and put the crescent roll on top. 
So she wipes the peanut roll on the plate and puts a crescent roll on top. And he says, well, thank you. That Now I can eat it. So he's eating the crescent roll. And then the one that had the peanut butter smeared on top, he wouldn't eat that one. And Jen said, it's the exact same thing, except the peanut butter is on top instead of on the bottom. No, it's not. No, it's not. So she took the crescent roll and stuck it back in. <laughs> he's like, well, I guess it is the same thing. But see, we all, I mean, from the oldest to the youngest, we can get in this habit of discontentment. He wasn't discontent. He just watched the, 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 the show. But still, it's funny. I mean, it's like, wait, wait a second. Presentation, mom. You're going to serve me this. I need, it, I need it served this way. And I think we all can step, take a step back and say, you know what? Me, you, all of us at different points of our lives, complain to God, complain to each other, complain to the world of how we don't have what we need. We don't have this. I I deserve this. I deserve that. So that's number one. Second, take responsibility. You need to take responsibility. We can learn to become more content if we stop blaming the people around us for the choices that we're making. See, no one wants to hear this. They just want to say, well, it's someone else's problem. It's someone else. That's the reason I am in the situation that I'm in. We so often cause the problems in our own lives, but we realize that if we complain and we complain, we complain, and we push it off on someone else, we don't have to take a responsibility for the choices that we're making in our lives, putting us in the situation that we're in, that we are complaining about. In Proverbs 19 and verse 9, people ruin themselves by their own stupid mistakes, and then blame the Lord. Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid mistakes and then blame the Lord. So often we're not content with what we have. And then we end up making choices that cause us harm. We choose to do that. Then we complain, for example, why we are in debt. So we make choices. Maybe, maybe you need to ask yourself, maybe you need to say, maybe someone needs to ask you, could it have been that you were discontent in your life with what you had? And so you went out and made some really poor financial choices that put you in that situation? Could that be it? Could it be that you ran up that credit card or made those financial choices to buy this or buy the bigger that or whatever else? And it was your discontentment with what you had that caused you to make poor financial decisions that put you in that situation. We have a culture to blame everyone else for the situation they're in. And I've been a pastor for a long time. And what I've noticed is that many people are where they choose to be. I don't care how much they complain about it. When you get right down to it and you start asking questions, they are where they choose to be. They put themselves in that situation. And when you say, here is what you need to do to get out of the situation. You need to discipline yourself and do this and do this and do this. I'm not having any of that. I want to continue to do what I want to do. And somehow magically everything's supposed to happen for me and all work out so that I don't feel discontent and I don't feel frustrated. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's often our own choices that cause our circumstances. Learning to be content. Think about this. Learning to be content will help you from falling into the traps of this world. This is, these are all traps 
laid out for you. The world's goal, okay, this is just life, is to relieve you of your resources, to to make you feel less than. You're not pretty enough. You don't have enough money. You don't have the best this, and you need the best that. And if you just had this, you'd be happy. If you just had this, it's little crumbs, and they lead you into a pit. And if you're content, you don't fall into their traps. If you find that virtue of contentment in how, where God has placed you at this season of your life, you don't fall into their traps. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4, 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We can be content if we focus our lives on Jesus Christ. This leads to the third principle. Work on being grateful. Work on being grateful. I have a video clip I want to show you. Thank God you're all right. God, yeah, let's thank God, shall we? For his blessings are raining down upon me. Wait, that's not rain! Chris, please don't do that, honey. You know that everything happens for a reason. That I don't need. That is a cliche. That is not helpful to me. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I have no bird. I have no bush. God has taken my bird in my bush. Oh, I see. So, so God is picking on you? Is that what you're saying? No, he's ignoring me completely. He's far too busy giving Evan everything he wants. Oh, that's great, Sam. But you missed your target. I'm over here. Don't get mad at the dog. It's not the dog's fault. No, it's God's fault. I gave him the wrong coordinates. All right, you know what? Enough. All right, will you just stop being such a martyr? I am not being a martyr. I'm a victim. God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm. Sweetheart, I know that you're mad. It's completely understandable. What Evan did is slimy and wrong, but this day could have been so much worse. I'm just glad you're okay. Okay? Newsflash! I'm not okay. I'm not okay with a mediocre job. I'm not okay with a mediocre apartment. I'm not okay with a mediocre life. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God says, I want you to be thankful in all circumstances. I want you to be thankful in all circumstances. It doesn't stay for all circumstances. And that's where people get confused. They get angry about this. They read this. They say, so how am I supposed to be thankful in all circumstances? It doesn't say, it says, it says that, that we should be thankful in all circumstances, but not for all circumstances. We cannot always be thankful for our circumstances, but you can be thankful for the situation you find yourself in, knowing that God is in control and knowing that God can use even the most challenging circumstances, situations that we face in life to help us mature in Jesus Christ. God can use every single season of your life, and he does use every single season of your life to help you become more like Jesus Christ. How do you learn patience if you don't have to be patient? How do you learn self-control? How do you learn all these principles that we learn about and we read about in the Bible? If God is not going to use those circumstances to help us become more like Jesus Christ, as we go through life, we live in a fallen world and things are going to happen. 
And if we are, if we get this attitude that I'm only thankful and I'm only happy with God, I'm only going to accept it when it goes my way, you're going to have a very long and very uncomfortable and very unhappy and very discontent life. This is not our home. But what we can count on is that God will use every circumstance in our lives to strengthen us and to help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, it says that Christians, they need to be different. It says we are to do everything without complaining or arguing that we may be sons of God, blameless and harmless in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation in which we shine like lights of the world. When Paul wrote, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, he was in prison in Rome. He didn't write it while he was sitting on the beach with a little drink and kind of sipping it with a little umbrella, looking out at the ocean. It was a beautiful and the breeze was just blowing on him. He said, I've learned the secret of being content because I'm really comfortable. He was in prison in Rome when he wrote that. Because he learned the secret of being content. My situation should not determine my contentness, my contentment. My situation should not determine my contentment. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. That's what the Bible is trying to tell us. You show maturity when you learn to be content as you go through challenging situations. Number four, search for God during your challenging times. You need to search for God. You need to look for God during those challenging times. If you want to grow, you need to see God's hand in your life. Not again, not just when things are going well. Oh, when things are going well, God is just blessing me. Not always. That's not true. That's not true. You know what's interesting? Things are going well. When things are going really well, um, pornography is soaring in this country. In 2008 and 2009 when the economy collapsed, guess what collapsed with it? All of the, so much of that. So, it doesn't go along all the time when things are going well. God just has his hand all over you. God is blessing you, yes, but God can bless you even in the difficult times. God can bless you in every season of your life. You just need to try to see his hand in every area of your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, it says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we're not, this is not our home. We are, we are, we are here. We are going to serve God. We can be content here. We can have peace here. We can have joy in this world, but this is not our home. He says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We need to fix our eyes as we're going through situations and realize that there are eternal forces all around us, good and bad. And that God can work in your life. You need to look for those opportunities. When you pray the prayer, God, give me more patience. What do you think is going to happen? Some of you who are older realize this, right? You stop praying to some of them. Well, I'm not going to pray. I've got to think through if I'm going to pray for that or not. Because when you pray for patience, it's not like, boom, patience. Right? What happens is, uh, what I tell people is, pray for patience, then Pray that God would give you opportunity to show how patient you can be, that you can win that battle. That's a little different, because if you want to learn to be patient, God will put you in situations where you're going to have to be patient. And you're going to be like, oh, well, oh, okay. 
deep breaths, deep breaths, deep breaths. You know, you're going to learn to be more patient. You learn to be more patient when you're put in difficult situations where you need to be more patient. So don't get angry at God if you pray to God that you want certain things and he starts prepare. You know, God, I, I need this. If you could only give me this. And then he begins to prepare you for when you get to that point. You're not mature enough to handle that yet. So you say, God, give me this. And God says, all right, I love you. I'm going to but I'm going to I need to prepare you so that you're ready for this. And then you go through the preparation. You start cursing God. We need to see God's hand in every area of our lives because it's always there. Regardless of what we face, God is walking with us through it. Regardless of what we go through, Jesus is standing with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We need to seek God during our struggles. We need to seek God during those difficult times. What we've been taught in our culture, though, is the opposite. We have been taught... We have been trained to rebel against God without even knowing it. We rebel against God when we question his wisdom. Think about it. We rebel against God when we question his wisdom. God, how many times have you said this in your life? God, do you really know what you're doing with my life? Do you understand what I'm going? Are, are you aware? Are you God? Do you want do you want do you really know? You question God. Do you really know what you're doing with my life? We we rebel against God when we question how much he cares for us. Well, God, if you loved me, if you really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. If you really cared for me, if you really loved me, if you're a God of love, and why, why am I even going through this? So we question God's love and caring in our lives. And then we also, we also, we also question, we rebel when we question God's goodness. We question God's goodness. It, 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 when we're focused on the things that we don't have instead of focusing on the things that we do have, we're ungrateful. So we question God's goodness. I don't have enough. I don't have what I need. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And so we question God's goodness and we question God's faithfulness because we're focused on what we don't have instead of what we do have. In our culture, think about this. In our culture, enough is never enough, period. Enough is never enough. Someone told me last week that if you make more than $50,000 a year, you're in the top three percentile of all of the richest people in the entire world. The entire world. If you make $50,000, you're in the top three percentile. I thought, I'm going to look up that statistic and see if it's true before I bring it up. In a, uh, boy, I've learned that. Don't ever, don't ever trust anything online, okay? Don't, anything. Stories you've heard for years and years myths most of the time i never use that kind of stuff unless i back it up so i wanted to see point was was true so listen to this she was close listen to this if you make fifteen hundred dollars a year i didn't say fifteen thousand fifteen hundred dollars a year you're in the top 20 percent of all the world's income earners so if you have a part-time job if you did a job last week for some people and you made 1500 bucks. you're in the top 20% all the income earners. If you have $61,000 in assets, you are among the richest 10% of adults in the world. $61,000 in assets. If you earn $25,000 or more annually, you are in the top 10% of all the world's income earners. If you have any money saved a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars in any condition, not two good cars, any cars, and live in your own home, you're in the top 5% of the world's wealthy. 
5% keeps going. What, listen to this. If you earn more than $50,000 annually, it, now she said three. If you earn $50,000 or more annually, you're in the top 1% of the world's income earners. 1%. $50,000 or more. 1%. If you have more than $500,000 in assets, your house, your cars, all added together, you are part of the richest 1% of the world. I found that to be extraordinary. My friends, we are dissatisfied and our dissatisfaction has become a habit. And the only way to really break a habit is to replace it with something else, to be disciplined in your mind and to replace that habit with some other thought process, with something else. If we want to do that, we need to focus on this whole idea, this whole virtue of being content of contentment how do we replace this dissatisfaction this lack of this lack of contentment with contentment well as we close let me share just a few practical that may help i'll go through these pretty quickly so just you know a few practical suggestions because because conditions and circumstances in our lives are constantly constantly changing Don't allow your satisfaction, don't allow your joy, don't allow your peace, don't allow your contentment to be tied to them. Don't allow your contentment and your peace and your joy to be tied to your conditions and your circumstances because they change all the time. Okay, don't link them together. Don't link them together. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living with plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Don't tie them to your condition or your circumstances. Second, be grateful for something. Be, be grateful for something. What in your life, because we sit, I, you, you, you know people like this. You sit around and all you hear is negative, negative, negative. What's wrong? It's terrible. It's all over. Everything in the world is terrible. Oh, my life is terrible. Find something in your life that's going well. Think about something in your life that's going well. Think about someone in your life, someone in your life that brings you joy. Even if it's one person that brings you joy. If you can't think of a person, I can think of something else that could bring you joy. Your relationship with God, your relationship with Christ. Think about those simple things. Next, catch yourself thinking negative thoughts. Okay? You gotta catch, again, this is discipline. You gotta catch yourself thinking those negative thoughts. It's amazing how often you hear people say, this stinks. This, this, this totally stinks. This isn't fair. This is completely unfair. My boss is the worst. My husband or my wife doesn't understand me. When those thoughts start going through your mind, what you need to do is you need to pause. You need to stop. You need to take that thought captive. And you need to allow God to put different thoughts in your mind. Reverse your thinking. Reverse your thinking on that. Now you say, how do you take every thought captive? As I was writing that uh, this week, I thought, you know what? We say that a lot. And I'm going I'm to ser- do the sermon on that next week. Taking every thought captive. What does it mean to take every thought captive? Because you hear it, right? And you want to do it. Everybody's like, yeah, I want to take a thought captive. How do I do that? We'll talk about how to do that next week. Um, we use this verse a lot, but I want to I read it again. Because you take every thought captive and what, what should I be thinking about? Let me, let me read this verse. It's in Philippians 4, 8. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So stop, reverse your thinking, and what do you think about? You think about those things. You think about the, you think about the people in your life that matter. I was, sitting, I was sitting in my house watching brain games with Josh and, and Deb yesterday, and the question came up, they wanted you to remember, can you remember what your house looked like when you were growing up? And I struck me, I thought, no, because I didn't have a house growing up. I had a one-bedroom apartment with my mom. We had a big brick wall with a bunch of windows. Everybody was, you know, up and down, and it was like, I didn't have a nice house. They had, like, little windows and shutters, and what color was your front door? I don't know. <laughs> in the apartment, I don't know. And I sat in my house, and I stared at my back window at all my awesome-looking trees and, and uh, a little pond back there. I'm not very big, but it's, I like it, you know what I mean? And I have, I have all these cool trees I planted. You can't see the neighbors from We have two and a half acres. I live on Butler Warren Road and two and a half acres in a really nice house. And I thought, wow. Wow. Think about, think about such things. Think about the things that God is doing in your life. That leads us to our second thing. Celebrate the simple joys. You know what? I thought about going back. I, I love going back and looking at pictures of like Kim and Jen when they were little or watching videos. Go back and, and go through some old pictures and just just find joy in that. Stop and reflect on how far you've come. That's why I told that story. That's what I was doing. I was stopping and reflecting of how far I've come. My gosh, I, I would never have imagined never have imagined that I would be able to be in the house that I'm in with the land that I have and the place that I live. I could walk down the street and go to a beautiful park. I'd never imagined that growing up. And it's nice sometimes just to stop and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I have such a beautiful place to live and such a wonderful church to be a part of and such great friends and great congregation and great family and grandkids. Just stop and, and, and reflect on those things. Be mindful of your surroundings. Do you ever stop and smell your flowers? Planted them, killed you, right? You ever stop and smell them? Maybe pick one and just kind of look at it? Do you ever stop and... When's the last time you walked outside and were awed by all the amazing stars in the sky? See, we, we miss those simple things because everything else is so intense and go, 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 go. You ever, when's the last time... I saw Jen barefoot up here. <laughs> I said, I'm going to walk around barefoot. It's comfortable barefoot. When's the last time you took your shoes off and walked barefoot in your grass, in your yard, or in your garden? This beautiful garden. You have a little rock path that you made. When's the last time all the ground cover you planted and everything, and all the pretty things? When's the last time you actually walked barefoot through there and got down and looked at the beautiful intricacy of the tiny little flowers or the, the plants that you planted in between those rocks or the things that you've done? When's the last time we've done, uh, that we've done that? I make sure that I, I make sure that I do that on a regular basis, just to appreciate the things that we have. Try to remember a kind word or a compliment that someone gave you, because you know what? We get bombarded by negative, 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 negative messages. Try to remember a compliment that maybe a teacher or your parents or it's always so easy for Satan to remind us of all the horrible things that people say. Try to remember the kind things that people say. You know, as I get older, I really appreciate, I, God knows my heart. I'm not fishing for compliments because I, that's not my, you know, that's not my, oh, I don't, I don't believe my press. I don't believe the really positive things people say. And I don't, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's me. That's how great I am. Or all the negative things that people say, because you get both. I don't think I'm Attila the Hun. And I don't think, you know, whatever would be over here. 
But it's nice. It's nice to remember the compliments that people give you and just reflect on those when some of those other words are coming in. So try to remember those compliments. Try to remember those kind words. See, we need to stop and realize. Think about this. I want you to think about this. We need to stop and realize that we are being programmed to be discontent. Now, this is conspiracy theory. Think Think it through with me. We are being programmed to be discontent. Our economy depends on it. Our economy depends on you being discontent with your, with your nine-month-old phone that's now a piece of garbage. When you walked in a couple of months ago, it was like the sun was shining and it could do everything and make me lunch. I ask, I ask it a question. It tells me an answer. Josh has my old phone, and, and, and it, I think it calls him, you know, your, your Highness Sir King Josh. You know, Siri, what is my name? Your Highness King Josh, or whatever it is. You know, it does all these kinds of things for you. Now it's a piece of garbage you need to replace because, my goodness, it's like six months old. 300 bucks. You saps, you. That's what the guy's saying. <laughs> it, it, it drives our economy, okay? It drives our economy. It, it permeates our favorite TV shows and the movies. Dissatisfaction. Oh, if I only had this person. I, oh, this person over here. I had this. Oh, I, oh my, my, my soulmate. Oh, it, 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 it saturates the books that we read. If you could only. Oh, it, what you have. Your, your life now, ugh, compared to. Ah, you know what I mean? Just, you know, just imagine what it could be like. Let me tell you another Greerism. One was most people are where they choose to be. Another one is um, that the idea of something is usually better than the reality of it. Think about that. The idea of something I used. I, I'm, I can't use cats because people get mad at me last week because I said to skin a cat. Um, they didn't get mad. It just was like, wait, I love cats. Um, the idea, oh, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this little gerbil and he's going to just, the gerbil's going to love me and everything else. And the gerbil gets out, he chews up your couch, he poops all over the ground, little pellets and everything. And then you find him dead six months later. And it wasn't the way you worked out, right? You thought the gerbil was going to bring you joy and the gerbil's now like gone. You can't find it. The kids are crying and he chewed up your couch and left all kinds of markings behind. The idea of something, vacation's another thing. How many disappointments we've been on vacation? Because like vacation, 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 vacation. You get, oh my, thank God I'm home. I'm so tired. Oh, how much did that cost? Six thousand bucks. Holy mackerel. We'll be in debt for the rest of us. The idea. That's why be content with the way. Don't 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 set it up like it. Oh, oh, it's gonna work. No. The idea of something is usually better than the reality of it. So just be content. Put things in perspective, okay? I'm helping you guys out here. Whether you know it or not, I'm helping you guys out. So we, we are bombarded by our culture and the process. Here's the thing. In the process, it is stealing our joy. It is stealing our peace. It is stealing our contentment. It is stealing our happiness and leaving us discouraged and depressed. We're a culture that has everything. Most of us in this room are the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world, and we're completely depressed. Right? We're discouraged. We're depressed. We're frustrated. We're angry. The Russian author, as I close here, Tolstoy, tells a story of a rich peasant who was never satisfied with what he had. 
He always wanted more. He wanted more. He wanted more. And he, and he had a wonderful chance to get as much land. He wanted land. He had a wonderful chance to get as much land as he could. For a thousand rubies, rubles, I'm sorry, he could have all of the land that he could walk on in a day. For a thousand. Here was the only catch. When you left your starting place, you could go as far as you want, and every place you walked would be your land, but you had to get back to the starting point of the finish line before the sun went down that day. So he gets up early in the morning, he goes out, and he, he starts to walk. And he's walking, and he's walking, and he's going, he's seeing, oh, a clump of trees, over. oh, I want that, he goes over here. And every time, his greed would just drive him, because he would see new territory, and no, streams, and, and he wanted to go over there. So he'd keep going, he'd keep going, because his greed would drive him. Finally, he gets far enough away, he goes, wow, I need to get back before sundown. So he begins to make his way back, and he's taking some paths, trying to get, gather up as much land as he can, and he realizes the sun is going further down on the horizon. So he picks up his pace. He picks up his pace. He starts to run. And as he sees the sun going down further and it's reaching the horizon, he just and he see, he's running as hard as he can. He sees the finish line. He sees the starting place and he sees that finish line. And so he's running and his heart is pounding in his chest. He can hardly breathe, but he knows he has to get, he wants to get back because he wants all this land. And so he runs as hard as he can, heart beating in his chest. He can hardly breathe. His muscles are cramping. He's feeling like overwhelmed, but he finally, he jumps and he leaps and he lands and he crosses the finish line. And right after that, the sun goes down behind the horizon and he lays on the ground, blood dripping out of his mouth, dead. And so his servant takes a spade and digs a hole as wide and as long as his master. And he buries him in the ground. And Tolstoy His story is called, How Much Land Does a Man Need? And he finishes it with this. He concludes saying this, Six feet from his head to his heels was all he needed. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, it says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, godliness, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ with contentment is great gain gain for you brought nothing into the world and you will take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing we will be content with that let me just say a quick prayer for us god there's some people in this room i would say almost everyone in this room suffers from this habit of being discontent we struggle with it, Lord God, because we're, it's pushed down our throat constantly. We're surrounded by it. Father, there's some here that this morning who don't know you. They, 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 they understand what I'm saying and they know it's right, but they don't have a relationship with you. So how do they get to that point? I pray, dear God, that anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, they would pray this simple prayer with me right now. Father, Just pray in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. Father, this whole idea of being discontent is something that's a part of my life. I recognize that it's a sin, not just a habit. And God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. Because of that, I'm separated from you. 
I don't need a pastor. I don't need the Bible to tell me that. I could just look at my own life and realize that I'm not perfect and that I'm in need of a Savior. And Father, I believe that you sent your son Jesus Christ to this earth to die on a cross for my sins. That I would no longer be separated from you. The Bible says that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that's what I want to do right now, and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then I will be saved. I want that new life. I want to know my purpose. I want to live a life of contentment, of joy and peace that is only found in a relationship with you. I want that. So with the little I know, with the very little I know about this whole idea of, of God and, and Jesus, I want to give my life to you and learn more. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me my gifts. Show me my purpose. Help me to be more content. In Jesus' name. And with your heads bowed, if you would, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, if you could just raise your hand up, just so I can see. Just raise your hand up. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, God, for this time that we can spend together. And I pray, dear God, as we close out this service, that we would focus our attention on you and on our own lives and what we need to do to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.